0: This is Glenn Crooks on frame. The current collective bargaining agreement between Major League Soccer and the MLS players will expire before the start of the 2020 season. Negotiations expected to intensify after the MLS Cup Final on November 10. The MLS Players Association is represented by seven players on its executive board. They are Scott Caldwell of the New England Revolution, Ethan Finlay, Minnesota United, Clint Irwin with the Colorado Rapids, Atlanta United's Jeff Laurentowitz, Patrick Mullins of the Columbus Crew SC, Luis Robles with the Red Bulls, And the youngest member, New York City FC's Eric Miller, who I sat with twice over the past two weeks to see what some of the priorities are for the players ahead of the serious negotiations. And one thing we do learn here, the players are unified and prepared to strike. But first we kick off the conversation with something not related to the CBA, but instead the freedom of speech issue in MLS stadiums across the country. Eric, before we get into the maybe the specifics of the collective bargaining agreement, uh, the MLSPA recently put out a statement that, and here's the quote, supports the efforts of its fan supporters groups to overturn MLS's overly vague ban on political speech at MLS games. Uh, it could be impactful at Yankee Stadium. I think mostly we've seen it uh, in Portland, Portland, Seattle being the uh, the banner for all this. So." Um, it, it seems obvious that the players can't do anything specifically about it, but it's a, it's more of a supporting effort?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, obviously, as, as players, we realize how important the fans are. Um, we realize that without the fans, we don't get to do what we, we get to do on the field every weekend. So I think the the most important thing is that we support the fans. Obviously, um, they've had a little bit of struggle lately with the whole uh, – political ban that MLS is trying to put in stadiums and all that stuff, but I think most of the things that they're supporting are things like anti-fascism, which is not really a a political stand at all. I think that's something that everyone agrees with and that sort of thing. So I think at the end of the day, we stand with the fans, we support the fans. I think obviously they showed how valuable they are, uh, especially in that Portland-Seattle game when they were silent for the first 33 minutes, I think. So I think that was was a huge statement for them about their organization there, and just obviously showed their importance, I think. how, how really valuable they are the league and, and without them the league doesn't exist.
0: I think the key word there was vague, yeah. I guess they're not quite sure what is political and what is not.
1: Yeah, and obviously yeah. It's, it's difficult with, with the way the, the political situation in the United States right now, it's, it's obviously a tough line to tell but I think yeah, vague is the issue and I think as long as MLS can have a little bit more of a well-worded and uh, informative policy I think that would, that would be helpful for the fans.
0: Alright, well, let's get to the CBA. Uh, signed uh, the current one signed in February 2015 and it expires at the end of January 2020 or just as the next preseason is heating up before the regular games start. Uh, Just last week I'm looking at it now uh, there's this mosaic now that all the players have put in their uh, Twitter profiles so this is a just a, a symbol of a solidarity?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was a, the mosaic. is just a It's a collection of images. Um, That's what of, I couldn't
0: tell. I'm yeah. looking. Is it is it p- the players' faces? So or yeah, it's, it's, a, action, it's a bunch what is of different
1: it? action shots of players from oh, around okay. the league. It's something that we thought of. Um, Labor Day is obviously a huge, huge weekend historically for um, collective bargaining, for workers' rights and all that stuff. So we thought it would be a good time to kind of show um, the solidarity that exists among the player pool and just kind of the strength of the player pool and how how united everyone is in this, this important year.
0: I don't think anyone's necessarily questioned the, uh, the unity of the group in the past. But there have been calls out, and I don't know how it, it's met internally, that uh, maybe the players have been a little soft in their negotiations uh, with the league. How do you? Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, uh, but how do you think it's going to go on this occasion?
1: Yeah, I think for us, it's important to obviously the previous negotiations are important because they frame kind of where we are moving forward. But the most important thing is is the next negotiation that we have coming up. I think for me as a player, this is the most organized, the most informed that that the player pool has ever been before. I think the player association from a staff um, standpoint has made huge strides over the last five years that... I, I didn't even see coming. I think just the number of people, the organization they have, their ability like like something this weekend to kinda of put something like that out and could kind of get all the players organized and to do something like that is something that in the in previous negotiations I just don't think we had the the bandwidth to do. So I think the the player association is growing a ton, I think the player pool is growing a ton. I think especially international players, I think we've seen a huge uptick in interest and involvement and all that stuff. I think obviously as there's more international players in the league, they're obviously increasingly important in the player Association. I think they've done a great job the last couple of years of voicing their interest and kind of making their their opinions
0: heard. So, uh, but when you look at the Executive Committee it's All-Americans, right? For sure. Yeah, so uh, and I was going to ask the question, does that kind of uh, set the tone a little bit? Uh, There are, uh, you know, if you look at the percentage of internationals versus Americans, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's pretty close.
1: Uh, Yeah, I have no idea either what their percentage is, but I think I think with the executive board, obviously, we, we'd like to get more diverse. I think we've done a good job lately of having some younger guys in versus it kind of used to be all more senior American players. Obviously, I'm, I'm the youngest. I'm only 26, um, which, is, which is relatively young for the executive board. I think we've done a good job with that. Obviously, we'd, we'd love to have international guys get on it. But the problem with some of those guys is they're either not here for very long, or they get here later and kind of all that stuff. There's obviously right. some of a language barrier, which is something that the PA has been working right. through. We have multiple people on staff that speak Spanish who been doing a great job, but you see guys like um, gonzalez Pires in Atlanta, who's taken a really big um, step kind of with the player association, voicing his opinion, kind of leading the, especially the Hispanic contingency of guys, and kind of making his voice heard about what's what's important to those guys, I think has been awesome. And I think as the league grows and becomes more international, we, we need more uh, opinions like that for sure. All
0: right, let's get to a couple of hot-button issues, at least they are from a public perspective, yeah. but, but you see... Uh, Jake Nerwinski's recent tweet with Vancouver, uh, Wayne Rooney, uh, Ebra, two uh, huge names who have come into MLS and uh, are wondering about uh, the travel policies, the, the, the difficulty in traveling. You've certainly experienced it this year with New York City FC a couple of times where uh, if you were on a charter flight, it would have been... Uh, a little bit, maybe a lot more comfortable and maybe more meaningful to the players in their performance when they're on the road. So where, where does charter flights, which the MLS permits four, a max of four, where does that rate uh, in the priority scale? So an interesting thing I learned recently uh, that I found was fascinating is that no
1: other professional sports league has charters in their collective bargaining agreement. So NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, they don't have any language about charter flights. Um, it was something that various teams along the way decided to adopt and then kind of the entire league took over as, as they didn't want to lose the competitive advantage that other teams had in terms of getting extra training days, having players recover faster. So I think that's, that's kind of an important thing to think about when we, when we talk about charter flights is that other leagues just slowly adopted it and unfortunately in MLS at this point in time we're having to collectively bargain for it. So it's obviously this big pool of money, right, that we're trying to figure out how to say – this part goes to salary cap. This part goes to international players. This part goes to draft picks. This goes to general sheets. Whatever it is. So,
0: unfortunately, you're, you're talking a lot about salary budget there, right? Yeah.
1: So there's there's obviously this just huge costs that MLS has, and and unfortunately for us, we have to collectively bargain part of that cost for charter flights. And charter flights are really expensive, but they're obviously incredibly valuable for player safety, for recovery, for kind of just general player rights. Um, just and even. I think for us, some of the big things that we're looking at for the CBA are trying to improve competition, trying to improve fairness, trying to improve investment from the league. So I think, in terms of competition, if you have teams chartering, they're going to play a better away, they're going to recover better, you're going to have more players available for more games because guys are going to be generally healthier. I think increasing investment is obviously just kind of what we all want. I think the league obviously wants it too. They want they want to keep growing, they want to continue to advance the league, and I think charter flights is is a big piece of that
0: what's the new best new york city example this year would you say uh, you've only been here a short time have you experienced anything yourself
1: uh i have not at this point
0: we have a uh before i got here
1: there was a bit of a horror story about going to orlando i believe on the way down or on the way back oh it was on the way back they had to fly to hartford i believe and then drive back down because of weather and all that stuff and i was Open Cup game midweek, so it just became an extra stress on the guys on the kind of the entire <laughs> schedule. And obviously with, with the Open Cup, there's those added games that you can't necessarily plan out in advance because you know how far you're going to make it. But I think there's there's horror stories from across the league, and obviously it's something that as a player association we're looking at, and obviously we understand that the players are looking at as well.
0: The other uh, topic I wanted to bring up, international breaks, and, and how that might be Play a role in your your discussions. Maxime Chenot uh, brought it up. He's actually uh, skipping out on the first game for Luxembourg. He's the captain of that country, and uh, he's going to play against uh, New England. We're recording this before the New England game, but he uh, referred to how this is something. This is a stumbling block at MLS, and until they solve this, and I'm paraphrasing in essence, there it's it's not uh, a proper league until uh, they, uh, they uh, eliminate playing games during the break. And you hear about Seattle missing 10 players for their game at Colorado. So where does that rank, uh, again, on that priority scale for the players?
1: Yeah, obviously, scheduling is something that we all look at. Um, I think it's more of a cohesive uh, kind of playing together with MLS than a combative thing for us. I think obviously they understand the importance of players going to play international. And again, as as players, we understand how important it is for other guys, whether it's us or our teammates that are going to play internationally. So I think it's obviously a big issue for MLS because of our schedule. Uh in the weather that we have to do with, you know, people always talk about do you move the season up, do you do you end the season later? But unfortunately it's it's North America and <laughs> if you move the season earlier, you run into a lot of weather, and if you move the season later, you run into a lot of the weather. And at the end of the day, you don't want to bunch the schedule up too much and have a ton of midweek games and all this stuff. So I think it's something that in it the, just, it seems like this term. window
0: in particular, with everybody either jockeying for yeah. a seed or just trying to get into the playoffs, it just seems like the, uh, the most ill-timed uh, thing for, for MLS anyway.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And I think obviously you see other leagues, the top leagues around the world, that are taking the international break out because they have either European qualifying or, or whatever games they may be. And I think obviously that's the end game is for MLS, is, as they say, and we as a player association agree, is you want to become a league of choice. Um, I think it's a league where you want guys to want to come play here and, and the league wants the same thing so I think in order to become a true league of choice that's
0: that's something that you definitely have to consider yeah you figure someone internationally is gonna look at that pretty closely final thing here uh, have there been negotiations have have there have, have you started that yet
1: so there's been a little bit of preliminary stuff uh, a little bit of back and forth but nothing super formal at this point in time um,
0: Obviously, everyone's just kind of get their ducks in a row a little bit, but I think is that is it better though to be organized early? I mean, you hear so often in negotiations like this in any sport where all of a sudden it comes down to the uh, you know the last moment, and, and yeah. it, that's when it gets heated.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I think the MLS certainly realizes that one of their biggest uh, bargaining chips is the time pressure before the end of the season. Obviously, we understand that as well. That it's kind of how we found out last time. You know, things were were slow, and then. The last month or so, they really heated up, and then, and then we eventually made a deal in that last week of the season. So I think both sides are, are, are getting organized and obviously doing a little bit of informal stuff, but nothing nothing formal at this point in time.
0: And uh, do you anticipate uh, things going smoothly with agreements? I mean, negotiations are negotiations, but you talked about being more solid, more together. Is there Would there be a greater threat for a strike than ever? You don't want it. It's not something anyone favors, but is this something that – you think the union might be a little stronger and be more positioned if they don't get get this solved?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to realize that the end goal of any negotiation is not a work stoppage. It's, it's to find an agreement. I think both sides uh, agree with that. But I think for me personally, as a player and as a member of the executive board for the player Association, I think it's the most prepared we've ever been. It's the most organized we've ever been. It's the most unified we've ever been as a group. So I think. We are prepared for a work stoppage if necessary. That is our biggest um, bargaining chip. So if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. But obviously, we'd like to reach an agreement
0: without doing that. We're with uh, Eric Miller, New York City FC. Uh, He's also uh, a member of the executive committee uh, for the Major League Soccer Players Association uh, with collective bargaining, uh, uh, the the key element at the moment. Uh, Eric, before I go to a couple of more topics, uh, there's a a bargaining committee. can you uh, familiarize the audience and me with uh, who comprises this committee and, and what role they play in some of the decisions are made?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, the bargaining committee is essentially a representative from every single team um, in MLS. So, for example, in New York City FC, our bargaining committee members are uh, Sean Johnson, uh, Brad Stuver, and Lucho. And so, basically, at the beginning of the year in preseason, each team holds a vote to decide who their three members are going to be, and then you vote for one member who's going to actually vote for your team. So, that's the person that says yes or no to whatever collective bargain agreement is presented, whatever um, rules are kind of presented throughout the player association stuff, whether we're raising fees, whether we're doing... Whatever. That's the person who actually votes on that. Does, it, does each club have three reps? Is that the each way it club works? As generally three reps, and there's one person actually that does the vote. So each team has one vote. So that's twenty. We're twenty-three teams in MLS now, plus the seven of us on the executive board all vote. So there's thirty total votes uh, out there. Um, and so basically, executive board is supposed to represent the entire league, and then the bargaining committee members for each team are supposed to represent your team. So whatever. Agreement, uh, collective bargaining agreement comes their way. Sean, Brad, and Lucha are supposed to decide and then vote based on how um, they believe that it would affect New York City FC.
0: So, uh, as a committee, do you uh, are these conference calls where you bring everybody uh, on board and, and update them on uh, on the negotiations per se?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's kind of a hierarchy about how it works. We'll have some group calls. That's every every bargaining committee member will be on with members from. MLSPA staff giving updates on negotiations or just housekeeping stuff within MLSPA then there's a lot of smaller group calls so it'll be um, one executive board member and then maybe three or four MLS teams that are kind of their teams to deal with and kind of keep informed about stuff Um, so I think that's been that's been kind of a thing that I think has been really effective this last couple years has been kind of getting those small groups just kind of have discussions see where guys heads are at see what guys like see what guys don't like I think those discussions are obviously really important to figure out where the mentality of the player pool is and kind of what different teams are thinking and kind of where, where their heads are about
0: stuff. And then the executive committee, there's seven of you. So is it w- when you're prioritizing things and coming up with a decision, we're going to put, uh, uh, we want more money towards charter and we may have to take uh, a little back from minimum wage. Is that a straight vote, 4-3 majority? How does it work at the end?
1: So, um at the end, we vote on everything as an entire player pool. So every vote that we do will be the executive board members and then all the teams. So it'll be 30 votes, and then however many votes are yeses, we we figure out from there. But usually the executive board stuff is, li- is a little bit more directing, kind of the vision of MLSPA, okay. kind of figure out where things are going, making some decisions about finances, hires, different things like that. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit it's a little bit different from representing your team, but obviously obviously very important as well.
0: So is that a majority? So if th- you said there's 30 voting members, what if it's 15-15? How do you break the tie?
1: Uh, I believe within uh, MLSPA rules, we have a general counsel who would be the tie-breaking vote. But I we've had this discussion before. I don't think there would be a situation where a bargaining agreement, if it was 15-15, we would not be willing to move forward with it if it was that close. I think we would want to have a strong majority
0: if it was a collective bargaining agreement we are going to agree to. All right. So, uh, well, there's our, some of the inner workings <laughs> of, of how it goes. Uh, Bob Foose recently uh, discussed charter flights and how important uh, that is, and and you've described how you've got to decide, looking at the entire budget, how you might want to, uh, as players, delineate these funds. It was either he or someone else interviewed for the articles suggested that players would have up to 10 additional actual training sessions because they're saving time on these flights. We talked a little bit about the wear and tear on the body and, and, and preparation, but that was a consideration I hadn't really thought about. And if I'm a coach, I'm real happy with that possibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the charter flights, uh, it's kind of a snowball effect in terms of posi- positive effects that it can have on a club. Obviously, there's there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefits. So Obviously, you get back home sooner for anyone that's been on a red-eye flight. You kind of understand the benefit of, say, we go play someone Saturday night. If we can get on a plane that night and come back and sleep in our own beds, wake up in New York or wherever we live the next day, and then that, that full day is, uh, now counts as a day off, you would then be able to train the next day because now, um, within the rules of the CBA, if you're traveling, that doesn't count as an off day. So then most teams will have to travel on a Sunday, and then give them Monday off. If you were able to charter back, theoretically, if you got back in time, you could have Sunday as your off day and come back on training on Monday and have the guys that weren't playing train, guys that did play could do regen and kinda of get their bodies back on track faster. I think in charter flights it all comes down to kind of the stuff we've been talking about. Obviously we want to increase competition, we want to increase investment in the league. And I think I think the competition aspect is huge. I think you see teams that go to midweek games that are tired, that don't have guys fit, that are worried about guys' legs for a game on the weekend. But if you can charter, theoretically, you have more guys available, more guys playing in, in important games. And obviously, you hope that more guys are healthy throughout the season because they're the the wear and tear of the travel is not kind of taking the toll it is on their bodies.
0: We, we talked about Wayne Rooney and Ebra uh, making comments about MLS travel. But v- recently, and this directly involved New York City FC, and to your benefit, uh, you guys arrived in Vancouver, ahead of Vancouver, for their home game. They had a midweek game, and you had traveled. I believe you arrived the day that they were playing their uh, Wednesday match against Montreal, and then they had some travel issues. And the next thing you know is I, you, I think you were there maybe a day and a half before they even landed. And uh, obviously that's – but Jake uh, Nerwinski uh, put out a tweet and kind of you know, a bit sardonic in his message that uh, well, this is uh, this is this was our week. How was yours? You know, so you yeah. could feel for those guys. I yeah, would. I think yeah. it's helpful when players use kind of their platforms
1: on social media or or whatever it is through interviews to kind of talk about. Because I think I think fans understand that that traveling difficult. You know, even, even if you're going to do a normal job, a delayed flight, a long ride eye flight, and all that stuff, it, it adds up in your body. You're exhausted when you get there, and then to think about having to go and play a, a high-level soccer game, um, it's difficult. And I think. Vancouver, I don't think it's the first time this year that they've had a team beat them to Vancouver because they've had midweek games that were farther away and teams arrived earlier. So obviously that's that's another benefit you see from charters. They could have theoretically left Montreal Wednesday night, been in Vancouver Thursday morning, and, and been ready to play us on Saturday.
0: Might have a normal preparation. Yeah. Uh, Eric Miller with us. Uh, and let's go over a few more of these uh, CBA items. I would imagine they would be. League minimum wage, if if I have it right, you know, sometimes you get figures at $54,500. I think of someone like yourself, Creighton University, get your degree, you probably could have gone out and gotten a higher-paying job other than playing professional soccer here.
1: Possibly, yeah. Uh, I think, obviously, minimums are something we're working really hard on. Um, Obviously, players as a league grows in quality, I think players coming through academies that are signing younger I think it's it's something that we, we really need to look at um, those are players that generally don't have quite as much leverage for contracts and all that stuff whether it's people that are drafted whether it's homegrown kids that are trying to get signed so I think that's that's definitely something as a player association we're really focused on and it kind of just goes with that um, competition and kind of con- continued investment piece you know we want kind of all the money available to go to to players that deserve it you know if if there's a young guy that's playing a lot of games if he's on the minimum i think he should probably be able to make more the minimum because he's he's kind of showing more value than that
0: so the subject of TAM targeted allocation money that certainly has uh, given clubs the uh, the opportunity to sign more players players at a higher level but it seems to me i mean i you know you see all the different players that are signed that it, it clearly favors foreign players now You have a number of teammates here at New York City FC that are here on TAM but is that something that the the committee discusses is that something you know to somehow I don't know how that plays into minimum wage or helping out uh maybe the American kid
1: yeah absolutely you know
0: obviously as a
1: player association we represent Americans we represent the foreign players so obviously we want everyone to have um a fair shake at all the money available and I think that's kind of of those three things fairness competition you know we want all players to kind of have the ability to have access to all the money that's being spent in the league you know whether it's TAM whether it's GAM whatever it is I think that three letter acronyms are, are not going to help the league grow anymore you know it's time to kind of let teams decide how they're going to spend their money who they're going to spend it on and kind of give the teams a little bit more freedom about what they want to spend it on Americans internationals young players veteran players however they want to spend it they should be able to spend it however they want and I think for us TAM's obviously restrictive for teams and for players as well, because teams can only spend that money on on a certain type of player from certain leagues or from the league here. So I think at the end of the day, it's just about improving competition and making sure every player can can compete for all the dollars that are available.
0: Because now, how I look at it, you know, outside looking in and and, uh, covering the league, and uh, certainly I would love to see it continue to, to grow, is that and comparing it to uh, uh, Liga MX which is that comparison's always here but if you look at the uh, the top end and the bottom end of their rosters in terms of the salary you know there's a there's this wide gap in MLS between top and bottom versus the bottom of a roster uh, in the Mexican league for the most part our uh, guys that are, are making a pretty good living still
1: yeah absolutely i think
0: for us that's kind of goes with getting the minimum up
1: obviously i think those guys in Liga MX obviously at the lower end, are still making a decent wage for sure and are certainly deserving of it because they're all quality players. But I think there you see, obviously, the money spread a little more, bit more equally, and I think that's a result of the freedom that the clubs have. You know, they can spend money on who they want and when they want, and I think MLS has been a little restrictive over the last couple of years, um, moving dollars towards the players that they think teams should bring in the league. Obviously, you've heard the horror stories about American guys or, or any guys that want to sign TAM deals and the league The league doesn't allow it for whatever reason. So I think we just want the, the teams to be able to spend the money how they want and the players to be able to compete equally for every dollar.
0: Now, how does free agency play a role there? So in the last uh, agreement for the first time ever, free agency, not particularly free, 28 years old, eight years of experience, so, uh, are you, as a group, trying to maybe lower those standards uh, in this next agreement?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think. for free agency, we obviously want to improve the years of service and the age, um, so that more players have access to free agency. Again, I think that speaks to kind of the the competition and fairness aspect. You know, you want guys that that play well and that and that deserve better contracts to the, to have the option to play out their contract and move to a club that that is willing to pay. So, them what's a fair
0: learn. age and a fair number of years experience? Would you say? I mean, do you guys. Do you have a number yet, or we we have a number right. um, for sure. So, um, so I'm going to guess <laughs> twenty-five and five. Is that close? Yeah, I think somewhere in that ballpark okay. would be would be good for sure. I think um, for us, it's
1: obviously just about having guys maintain the ability to earn the dollars that they're worth. You know, I think free agency is a great way to do that. I think free agency is a great way for players to choose where they want to live, all that different stuff that comes with it. You know, obviously. Aside from being soccer players, we're we're human beings. I think there's different family stuff, different lifestyle things that guys may want to live in different cities and obviously play for, for different clubs. So I think at the end of the day you want a lot of players to have access to free agency and to be able to get essentially their fair market value within MLS, which I'm not sure enough players are getting at this point in time.
0: He's the most recent acquisition for New York City FC. And an important voice for his new teammates, MLS Players Association executive board member Eric Miller. And two things resonate from that chat. One, this quote from Eric, I think that three-letter acronyms are not going to help the league grow anymore. It's time to let teams decide how they're going to spend their money. And two the solidarity of this union. To quote Eric again, it's the most prepared we've ever been. It's the most organized we've ever been and the most unified we've ever been as a group. We are prepared for a work stoppage if necessary, and that is our biggest bargaining chip. You get the sense that this will not be a simple negotiation, nor will there be an easy settlement. This is Glenn Crooks on Frame.